Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, covering Iran. How should the press be thinking about the next step in the U.S.-Iran showdown? We've all been sort of riveted by the killing of Qasem Soleimani, the response by the Iranians, Trump's response to the Iranians, but sort of what happens now? How should we be thinking about the response of the Iranian public, the response of the U.S. administration, and how our coverage should be evolving? I'm thrilled to be joined today by Dexter Filkins, who wrote the definitive profile of Soleimani in 2013 for The New Yorker. Welcome, Dexter. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Um, there's so much to talk about here, um, but let's start with the, the funeral for Soleimani in Iran, where you had these masses and masses of people show up in the streets to mourn this general. Did any of that surprise, did the scale of that surprise you or the portrayal of that by the Iranians surprise you in any way? No. I mean, I, I think I think there's more to it than meets the eye. But, but I, you know, the short answer is he was a national hero. He was kind of seen as uh, very straight and uh, very, very Iranian and not corrupt, especially, you know, very honest. And um, so I'm, I'm not surprised at the at the outpouring of, you know, grief and mourning that that we saw. I, I do think. I do think that it's important to remember that Iran is a is a closed society and it's uh, it's not a democracy and I think it's really difficult to discern the public mood uh, by by looking at, at videos from far away. I think there's probably a whole other part of Iranian opinion that we never get to see because uh, it's expressed inside people's homes. So so I I I personally think that's kind of important because it's. And it's easy to kind of forget that. Um, it's easy to kind of forget that when you're looking at a, you know, when you're looking at a crowd of a million people mourning uh, a national hero like Soleimani. And what is that? I, I know it's not um, uniform. that Everybody doesn't have the same views when they're inside their house. But, I mean, what do you mean when you say that, that maybe the outpouring of support for him wasn't, wasn't universal when you really get, get down to it with people? Well, I think that Iran is a very divided society, and it was just uh, in November uh, that the Iranian government, that the Iranian regime, which of which uh, Soleimani was uh, the, at least the second most or third most important person, uh, shot and killed at least a thousand Iranians, as we can see, at least a thousand protesters around the country, yeah. and it's one of, and that and those protests were directed at. Uh, the the Iranian government and uh, I think where they were started by a kind of anger over an increase in in, in gasoline prices but there's this there's clearly a uh, there's clearly a feeling a widespread feeling that that of unhappiness that the government is corrupt corrupt and that the economy isn't growing and there's too many unemployed people and the government isn't representative uh, and isn't providing for the future and what what the Soleimani strike did was kind of you know change the subject and kind of give everybody a rallying cry. But but there is really this is a deeply riven society, and we shouldn't forget that. Yeah, I mean one of the things that really struck me um, in, in, during the funeral um, coverage was how how much of this seemed to be sort of a media event. I mean I was I really was struck by the photograph of Khomeini in Soleimani's house talking to his widow. And the fact that there were cameras there, and I think I think he was miked 
if I saw the picture right. <laughs> really. And so it was like, wow, there, there, this is a pretty sophisticated media operation to sort of capitalize on, on this event. Yes. Um, the, and the Iranians are very sophisticated about this sort of thing. And I think that if you – there's been a number of indications that, at least to me, which demonstrate that many of the things that have happened since the, since the killing – uh, itself have been kind of orchestrated that they're they're really kind of in the realm of theater uh there was a story uh that i think the day after he was killed there was a front page story in the new york times that said how many of the supreme leader demand personally demanded uh that that the iranians respond and they respond in a proportionate way and that it be clear that it's an iranian response and that they mm-hmm. you know take american lives etc and and it was kind of uh, according to three sources who were in the room with Hamani. well that that tells me that that was an orchestrated leak. The, the mm-hmm. Iranian government wanted people to know that. They wanted the world to know that. But I think more important in this case, they wanted they wanted Iranians to know that. They mm-hmm. wanted the Iranian people to know that the Supreme Leader was demanding that he was angry and he was demanding response. And so I think that m- much of, of what we've seen is uh, it's very self-conscious. I think that they're very careful about, about the image that they're projecting to the world and to their own people. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is a tricky subject to get into, but I mean, if you contrast their messaging with that of the Trump administration, I mean, it seems a little more coherent to me. At least it seems more consistent. And, you know, it, it seems like everybody seems to be on the same page, which you can do when you're not a democracy and you don't have to worry about right. fighting parties right. and right. whatever. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, it did seem to be much clearer and you sort of had a clearer sense of what they were up to. So let's talk about the missile strike by the Iranians afterwards, which they where they sent these whatever dozen or so missiles into this American base and hit not a soul. Yes. You I heard you on a podcast with David Remnick right after the Soleimani killing in which you said you didn't think this was the way it was going to play out. You thought, one, that the Iranians were going to take a little more time and that there would probably be a strike somewhere outside of Iraq. And then you also mentioned this story right afterwards in the Times where there was this expectation that the Iranians would intentionally kill a number of either military people or Americans or whatever. Did the response strike you as odd, this idea of like intentionally shooting missiles and trying not to hit anybody? Yeah, I mean, I certainly didn't expect it. Um, the, I, I should say, I think that we probably haven't seen the end of this. Uh-huh. Uh, and so all those possibilities that I mentioned Things like that take time. Yeah, uh, I think they would, you know, they would do it in a way that probably gave them some deniability, and uh, and who knows? Like we really, we really don't know. We're kind of, we're kind of, right, speculating there. But I certainly didn't expect that they would do that. They would do what they did. I think that. Look, I think it's important to remember we've we've basically the United States. We've basically been at war with Iran since 1979, one yeah. way or another. So that's not going away. That strike suggested. Uh, very strongly that it was being done for internal consumption. Uh-huh. It was, look, we, we fired missiles at the bad Americans, we hit their base, they can beat their chest, and they can say, we did it. Um, and in fact, they didn't kill anybody, and it looks like the Americans were able, through their you know satellite technology, etc., to, to see the preparations underway, and it gave the Americans time to kind of take cover. Yeah. Um, and, and no one gets killed. So... Did, did, is that what the Iranians intended? I think there's a uh, a reasonable it's a reasonable bet that they did that they didn't 
They didn't want to provoke Trump anymore. They didn't want to start a war, but they felt like they needed to kind of answer in a public way that their own people could see, and that's yeah. what they did. It just struck me as amazing. I mean, it, it's almost like you really have to be lucky to send 12 ballistic missiles into a base and not hit anybody, <laughs> right? And it could have yeah, gone it, it could have gone badly so easily. I mean, one errant missile and you, you know, you got 50 people dead. I saw, as we all did, the immediate response right after the missile strike where there was sort of jubilation and people were celebrating whatever. But as as the word is sort of filtered in that, in fact, nobody died, what have you seen in terms of the Iranian public response to that? Well, again, I, I think it's really hard to know. Uh, I think I think that the, the killing of Soleimani, whatever else it was, uh, it was a it was a body blow to the regime. It really, really is going to hurt them in a substantive way. Yeah. Soleimani was that important, and I and I think that, I mean, a they've got to recover from that, uh, and they're probably stunned and in shock, and in some ways, kind of not as operate not operating as efficiently as they were. But it's just going to take them some time to kind of get it back together. Right. So you wrote this profile. That, I mean, you, it was published in 2013. Since that was published, how how much had you sort of stayed abreast of what Soleimani was doing, or had you sort of moved on and and started focusing on other things? Well, it was a it was a weird piece because I <laughs> I was traveling around the region and I was working on a story for the New Yorker, and his his name kept coming up, uh-huh. and and this was before kind of really the wider world had heard anything about him, and. I kept, I mean, he came up so often that I had to start asking about him. And I said, like, who is this guy? And then the Middle Eastern people who were sitting across the table from me would say, he's the most powerful guy in our country. <laughs> he's the most powerful guy in the region. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, um, i got to write a story about this guy. And when I did, it had this weird effect of kind of, of it, was a, it was a hugely popular story at the time. And I think a zillion and a half people have. Yeah, to read that story, people that would never otherwise do it. But at the time, it was kind of it was a, it was a big deal among people that kind of care about the Middle East. And it, what it did, I think, effectively was elevate him and give him mm. a kind of public profile that he, that he didn't have before. Mm. And and I think that the Iranians actually had to adapt to that, mm. uh, and they and they did. And they, I think, what the way that they adapted was. They they kind of uh, made the most of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, he's like our guy. He's the he's the spy master and the cowboy. And he started kind of posing for pictures and and taking selfies and showing up on the battlefield everywhere. So he kind of took that he kind of took that in stride. Um, and so uh, I I naturally kind of followed that because I had written about him and it was a but it was a very it was a very self conscious. Thing, I think on, on the part of Soleimani and the Iranian regime to do that. Did you hear what he thought about the piece? It's funny you ask that <laughs> because um, I, I, my first interaction with Soleimani uh, was, and it was really the first time I heard his name was, was I went to Iran in 2005. Uh, I was kind of amazed that I got in and it was right after Ahmadinejad, the very hardline uh the president had been elected, and I got in, and someone kind of pulled me aside and said, "You know, Qasem Soleimani personally improved your visa." <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of went back to a lot of the uh, Iraqis, uh, in, in particular, who were helpful in that story, and a lot of the Iranians who were helpful in that story, who were kind of flying in and out of Tehran. And a lot of them kind of said, "You know, um, he might actually talk to you now. Mm-hmm. He might see you." 
Uh, and so I, I kind of put the word out, I, you know, I'm ready to go. <laughs> just, just send me a visa and I'll go and sit down with him. And I, I don't know if the wires got crossed or what, but like, you know, eight months later, it kind of came back and, and uh, I think it was an Iraqi who said to me, uh, you know, I put the question to him directly and he said, not a thousand years, not a million years. <laughs> so like tell him to drop dead. Yeah, yeah, so it never happened. Do you know if, if he had any dealings at all with other Western reporters, whether he talked to anybody? I don't think so. I don't think so. Certainly not before 2013. Mm. Um, you know, the, I, I, had, I had managed to find, there's a couple of American diplomats um, and a, a, a CIA operative I knew who worked in the region who had come into contact with him. But among reporters, no. When you were in a place like Iraq or Lebanon or Syria or Yemen, you know, any of these places, the Iranians don't really advertise their presence at all, mm-hmm. and, but they're, they're behind the scenes. And so that he basically stayed, he basically stayed that way. Mm-hmm. What is, I, I don't know if you've had much time to read some of the other coverage over the last week or so, but do you have any sense of whether people seem to be capturing this nuance that you talked about at the beginning in, in terms of the Iranian response and the and this sort of complicated public outpouring versus a more sort of conflicted private response? I mean, what, what is your assessment of the coverage? My sense of it, the, the overwhelming impression that you get from it's pretty one-dimensional. It's, uh, and part of that is like kind of shaped by Trump because it, he's made everyone insane. There was this strike, and what does it mean? And and uh, look, he was a national hero, and Trump's a kook, uh, and you know he's impulsive, and he took a shot, and he didn't think about the consequences, and 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 I, it hasn't really gone a lot deeper than that, and, uh-huh. and that that that's disappointing, but that's you know that's the world we live in. Are you you've been writing about other things in the interim, India and other things? Are you going to sort of refocus your attention back to Iraq, Iran? Maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm. I, there's a lot of, you know, the, the the tricky part with Iran is is getting in. Yeah. And you know, it's it's really because uh, you know I'm a, I'm a reporter and I don't, you know, I I just try to gather as much as I can and that's hard to do uh, if you can't get in. I actually managed to do that when I wrote about Soleimani because there were it was a very focused piece and there were so many people outside the country who had had contact with him and it was essentially about the Iranian reach you know, outside of Iran. So it was kind of possible. Um, and I'm hoping, I mean, listen, if I got, if I got an Iranian visa, uh, I'd be on the first plane. Dexter is great to talk to you. Great to talk. Thanks, Thanks so much. much. Take care. So you can track the coverage of Iran on CGR.org and through our daily email newsletter, the media today, which you should sign up for. Meantime, you can follow us online or on social media or on our galley app. Thanks for listening. See you next week.